Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the When to Jump podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. Hope everyone's doing well. Enjoyed the holiday weekend for those in the United States. Shout out to Zanetta in York, Pennsylvania, who left insurance and jumped into Kitty Town Coffee. Uh, she just shared her jump with us and uh, is looking to give moral support to the community, graphic design, business jump ideas, media resources, coffee brewing tips to be a sounding board and all other things. And she asked to, to get, if possible, market research, sales help, moral support. As she says, entrepreneurship is lonely to be a sounding board for others and to also look for sounding boards, legal help, hiring help, things like that. Any small business owner can relate. So that is Zanetta in York, Pennsylvania. Thank you, Zanetta, for sharing your jump with us. If you think you can help uh, provide a give for her get uh, or have a get that she can give, uh, share it with us. Wendajump.com. You can send us a message through the website. Uh, we'd love to hear it. And if you've got a jump to share on the podcast, you know what to do. Record it. Jump at McMillan.com. Uh, the last part of Zanetta's uh inbound entry there when she says she's looking for legal help is a nice little sounding or segue rather to the conversation this week on the podcast. We have our very first ever uh, major politician or really politician of any sort joining us. Uh, Oregon's 38th governor, Governor Kate Brown, is joining us, currently the governor of Oregon and is actually our 38th episode. So there you go. That was completely an accident. Uh, This is a really interesting episode to talk about what all of your past experiences can do in framing your next jump and really in maximizing your next jump. So this actually goes to a conversation I had with a listener, Tylene in Washington State, uh, who's considering a jump into law school. And her question was around if if getting a credential like a degree that uh, might not be made for a specific purpose, like practicing law, in her case, is still okay um, and not totally random or unnecessary. And I think the conversation with Governor Brown here will hit that on the head. You know, she uh, is someone who started practicing law in a traditional setting and ultimately used law to pursue her passion. And that ended up leading to a few different jumps, her latest one into the governor's office of Oregon. So enjoy the conversation with Governor Catherine Brown, Oregon's 38th governor here on the When to Jump podcast. Welcome to the When to Jump podcast. My name is Mike Lewis, a very special guest today on the show. Oregon Governor Kate Brown, our first ever public servant who is joining us on the show. Governor Brown, thank you so much for coming on. I'm just delighted to join you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I think your story is is such an interesting one in a lot of different ways. But as you were telling me when we first met, your first jump was more like a a push. Is that right? (laughs) Um, I've had some interesting experiences along the way. I went to law school with the, I I really wanted the tools to change the world. I wanted an opportunity uh, to create justice and equality in this world. And I uh, came out of law school and I had a couple of things happen. Um, My first job out of law school, 
I worked at a women's health center and um, there at the time that was mid 1980s we were fighting back uh, protesters and it was really a struggle for women to come safely in the clinic so we had a legal battle at the time so I was in law school I uh, volunteered at the women's health clinic and then um, I decided that I was going to take a job at the Portland Feminist Women's Health Center um, once I finished law school. And then I had a sort of unusual experience my first day on the job. I was literally laid off uh, my first day on the job because of insurance issues and they didn't have the funding for my position. So I had just graduated. I didn't know what else to do. I thought, well, I might as well go and practice law. So. I looked for a job and was able to find one and ended up practicing in the family law arena for about a handful of years. Wow. And for folks who are listening, and I know there are many of them in our audience who took a risk or followed a passion and didn't exactly go as planned and, and perhaps redirected them, you know, what what was going through your mind at the time when you needed to, to make a quick uh, pivot and update your plans uh, from from what you thought you'd always be doing. Well, it was pretty interesting for me because uh, I hadn't really intended to practice law. That I really saw myself as an advocate, uh, and so I hadn't taken uh, the experiences that a lot of uh, young lawyers or lawyers in training take and interned or clerked uh, for a law office or clerked for a judge. So I didn't really have any exposure uh, to life in a law firm. So I had to figure out a way that I would get that experience very, very quickly because guess what? One of the joys of graduating from law school is it usually comes with uh, loans and I had to figure out a way not only to pay my law school loans, but figure out a way to pay my rent. So. I was really fortunate. I had a skill, uh, I had a degree, and uh, I'm a hard worker, so I pounded the pavement and knocked on a lot of doors and was able to find a job as a law clerk uh, for uh, my first year out of law school. As you go forward on that path, how did you make sure to keep on your radar the things that were most important to you? Because I think sometimes it's easy to get swallowed up by a job and a track and paying back those loans and kind of forget what it is you feel like you were meant to do. That That's actually a really good question because like you said, the day-to-day of you know figuring out how you're going to pay your rent, how you're going to make ends meet, uh, how you're going to cover your loans is a challenge for a lot of folks either coming out of college or coming out of uh, graduate school. I had an incredible opportunity uh, in terms of the lawyers that I was working with. Uh, They gave me the chance to uh, speak in front of organizations like Planned Parenthood. Uh, I had uh, the passion to pursue political interest. I hooked up with an organization called the National Lawyers Guild and we were able to use our legal skills to work on uh, ballot measures. Specifically, I remember working on uh, ballot mem- measures that would limit women's access to reproductive services. So I, I was able to 
essentially use my very few moments of spare time and my legal skills to help in uh, a political cause that I felt very strongly about. That's interesting. So it wasn't that the door was closed fully, even as you went in to work and 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 went down that grind of paying back the bills. You you found an outlet during during the course of that work to to do what you cared about as well. Yes, yes, and I and I think that's really important. Uh, there are a number of books out there talking about how you uh, keep your passions. Uh, a flame, and um, I, 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 one of them I, is uh, Stephen Covey's book about uh, tools of leadership. And one of the tools that I think is really important is continue to sharpen the saw. And that means for me, making sure that I continue to take care of myself, whether that's through exercising or yoga or uh, meditation, and at the same time, that you continue to add fuel to the fire, whether it's through reading, through book groups, through uh, advocacy, whatever it is for you personally, that you continue to fuel that fire. That's such a great metaphor, uh, sharpening the saw, because I think some of us, a lot of us find when you get complacent, it's just really easy to stay complacent because what is it an object in motion will stay in motion right and so that might be that might be the the most simple piece of wisdom but also the hardest thing to act on for those who are on cruise control or right for people who feel stuck <laughs> it's really hard to uh, continue to fuel that fire did you find that some of these things you were doing started to pull you in ways that you perhaps hoped for but didn't expect Yes, I had this incredible experience uh, while I was practicing law and uh, the partner at the firm had been very engaged with a statewide organization around family law, which is the area of law I was practicing. And they were working on legislation in front of the legislature. And the partner at the firm gave me, opened the door for me. She gave me the opportunity to testify in front of the Oregon legislature. Uh, It was in 1989 on some legislation regarding family law. And I had so much fun and I really enjoyed the experience. And for me, that was an eye opener that there were ways to other ways to use my legal skills in a way that I could actually uh, earn a living, (laughs) which is important, right? You have to have some level of practicality of all this. Right. So uh, the, the partner was really terrific in giving me that opportunity. And I was like, oh, this is it. This feels really right to me. And what happened next? Ah, so I, I had some uh, women in the, in the women's community approach me about a job. It was an advocate, a lobbyist for a women's organization. And in Oregon... Uh, the radical feminist uh, organizations like Planned Parenthood and AAUW, um, American Association of University Women, pooled their resources and hired an advocate or a lobbyist each session. And a number of women that I had met over the years had done that job. Uh, Several of them encouraged me to apply for that job, and I did. 
and I ended up getting the job. I found this out in December of 1990. And I literally knew I was gonna be headed into the Capitol for the January 1991 session. You know, I didn't know where the bathrooms were. Uh, I had a few connectors. I had some mentors, folks that um, my women friends said I could connect with and would support me in that work. And it was pretty amazing. How did you find the the reception, both internally in your mind as you thought, this is it, uh, and also reception by others? You know, that's such a big part of the jump is how you feel supported or, or maybe not supported mm. by people in your inner circles. Uh, that's really interesting that you would ask that. I, I have to tell you, uh, despite the fact that I think I was taking quite a pay decrease at the time, I think I was getting paid roughly $2,000 a month uh, to do this job. Uh, and I had left a, you know, a good paying job at a law firm. Um, I really felt that it was worth the risk. I have to say my parents were extremely supportive. My dad, not so excited about my feminist tendencies, but they were certainly excited and supportive of me making this jump and my friends were absolutely thrilled and I was very sad to leave the law firm I was working for it was a incredibly uh, interesting and supportive environment but it, it really felt like for me uh, I couldn't keep doing the work I was doing and I had to do something different. And this just felt like an opportunity to, as we say in Oregon, uh, spread my wings a little bit. Is that a, is that a saying in Oregon? <laughs> Our state motto is she flies with her own wings. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Here's the other thing I have to say uh, about, uh, particularly for women and uh, my uh, education as a lawyer. I know from talking to uh, women in academia, at least until relatively recently, uh, having a law degree was a door opener for women. I, I don't have a sense that it still is, but I think it is. And for me, I know that going into that uh, interview uh, for the Women's Rights Coalition position, I know that having a law degree gave me an advantage and uh, set me apart from the other candidates in that pool. So uh, for me, it was very much a door opener and an advantage. And that's such an interesting observation to make and I think helpful to bring back to the surface, which is those four years spent as a lawyer, the, the law school beforehand, all of that contributed to improving your odds of doing what you really wanted to do when it was time to jump. Yes, yes. And what the other thing, the really important thing about practicing law did for me is it gave me perspective. It, in family law, sometimes you have the, quote, good client, and sometimes you have the difficult client. Sometimes both clients are very uh, easy to work with. Sometimes both clients are extremely difficult to work with. People end up uh, seeing both sides of cases. 
for me, that was a really good perspective for conflict resolution and for the ability to work in the legislature, that you have to um, sort of be able to take the big picture view and have an objective analysis of the situation to help folks resolve the situation in a way that, at least in the legislature, we try to solve them in a win-win for both sides. I think the hardest thing to do sometimes is to take that step back when your nose is up against the grindstone. Yes. And I think it was a good perspective to bring in. And I I know this uh, lobbyist isn't working in the building right now. Uh, I think he's retired. But one of the bills that I worked on uh, in that first legislative session was legislation dealing with child support enforcement, which I was quite... Um, frustrated with as a lawyer in terms of trying to collect from uh, child support from deadbeat parents. And this was in the 80s before we had the extensive, shall we say, uh, collection processes that we have now and the child support enforcement guidelines. But um, I was able to see, I think because of the work I had done in family law, that if we could figure out a way that I could uh, keep his client happy and as well achieve my goals of more readily and easily collecting child support that it we could turn the situation into a win-win as opposed to him stopping my bill or him having a very unhappy client and so for me that lesson was it's really helpful to build bridges and to figure out strategies where not everybody's going to get a hundred percent but that maybe you get 80% and I get 82% of what I want. Yeah, that seems like that's applicable to a lot of other things besides just pushing (laughs) legislation. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So there were a couple things that happened to me during session, um, sort of lessons learned that were really important in the public policy making process. The Women's Rights Coalition had pages and pages of bills that they wanted to get passed I had a, a a woman, she worked for one of the legislators, she pulled me aside and she said, Brown, you're not going to get all these bills passed, you have to focus. And I said, but all of this is important. She said, you've got to prioritize and you've got to focus. And wow. so instead of, uh, instead of trying to figure out how I was going to get, you know, three pages of bills, I don't know, 35 or 50 bills passed, I figured out a handful that I needed to corral my efforts and corral our stakeholders around. But there's there's one bill that I think about frequently because it really changed my life. When Governor Barbara Roberts, our first woman governor, signed the legislation into law, Oregon became one of the first states in the country to recognize family medical leave which enabled parents to stay home with their sick children without fear of losing their jobs. For me, it was a wake-up call and a realization that I could make a difference, that I could have an impact on this process, and that I could really work to make Oregon a better place for all of our families. For those listening and, and who might feel like, wow, that person's impact is greater than anything I could do in in the move I want to make in my life, whether it's starting a, a company or switching jobs or a, a lifestyle change. What would you what would you tell those folks? 
I think that each one of us can make a difference in our lives and scale honestly doesn't matter. What matters is you actually doing it. And there's a whole lot of uh, life improvement projects, world improvement projects that you can take on. You can mentor a child. You can take care of an elderly person. You can uh, find a cause that you are passionate about. You can find a candidate that you are passionate about. It doesn't really matter. I just uh, wanna encourage folks to take that leap that you can make a difference and the best way you can make a difference is by starting now. Absolutely. I think this is important right now uh, as we are headed into a uh, election cycle across the country uh, for most states. And uh, I, it was following that legislative session in 1991 that I caught a call from my state senator asking me if I was interested in seeking an appointment to the legislature. I said yes. You know, I was young at the time. I didn't have a family, and I honestly didn't have another job at the time, and I knew I couldn't support myself on a legislative salary. But I worked with my state senator and her team, and I easily got the appointment. The appointment was created when when the House member in that district, when my House member resigned. She called me a few months later and said she'd resigned to take another job. She ended up not getting the job and she called me uh, to say she wanted her house seat back. And I said, no, I was really enjoying being in the legislator at that time. And I was getting excited about the 93 session. Well, she ended up running against me uh, in that district uh, in Southeast Portland. And uh, she was uh, very well known. She'd represented the area for a number of years. Her husband had represented the area before that, so she had something I didn't have, name ID. But I had guts and determination, and I knocked on doors, and I knocked on doors in uh, some parts of the district three times. I had volunteers help me. I literally, despite being outspent two to one, I won that race by seven votes. (laughs) Seven votes. Seven votes. And I have to tell you, 25 plus years later, I still have people come up to me and say, they now call me governor, Governor Brown, I was your seventh vote. I was the reason (laughs) that you won. And you know what? They were. Everyone who voted for me made a difference. Everyone who volunteered for me made a difference. Every door that we knocked on made a difference. For me, uh, that is uh, the perfect illustration of how each of us can really play a part and really work uh, to make the world a better place. What was it like to be so, you know, because many people aren't on such a public stage when they make a jump, how did you think about, A, you know, losing and failing on such a clear stage and, and, and visible one, but B, not exactly knowing how it was going to end up on election day. And in many ways, the result being out of your hands once voters did go to the polls. Well, obviously, um, I I knew it was very likely that I was going to lose. But you know what? Um, a, A very wise man said to me, you really have nothing to lose. 
everybody thinks you're going to lose. Um, so if you lose, it's not a big deal. And if you win, you've won the race. So I, I literally just figured I had nothing to lose at that point. I do remember uh, running for office is very much like a roller coaster. You have these times like you feel like uh, you're like on top of the world and you have other times where you're in the uh, just the pits. And so it is running for office is very much like a roller coaster and you have incredible highs and incredible lows. Uh, I had one friend who I called regularly and cried on his shoulder every night. So um, it, it was very challenging, but I was young enough and probably dumb enough. <laughs> <laughs> and that is part of this, right? You're just like, why not? Why would you not go for it? And that is a nice segue to today. So uh, you are officially all in going in for re-election uh, <laughs> in in the 2018 midterms well not for you but going forward as you think of of this next big election what are you focused on what do you want people to know about your story uh, about your jump about what you want to do for Oregon so I, I would just say my my path into the governor's office was somewhat unusual I was serving as Secretary of State at the time when uh, the current governor was struggling uh, around some ethical issues and I got a call from him. I came back. I was in D.C. at a National Association of Secretaries of State conference. I came back uh, and a few days later on my desk on a Friday morning arrived a letter uh, with my predecessor's resignation and I was going to get sworn in in five days. So Ugh. building a team, <laughs> building a team, uh, figuring out what part of his agenda, we were in the middle of a legislative session, and how I would build uh, my agenda was challenging, and my goal was really simple, build Oregonians' faith and trust in state government and that's why we focused on some the legislation that we focused on during the 15 session from increased uh, access to public records, ensuring that uh, public records were more accessible and uh, cost effective to uh, both the press and the public, why we focused on legislation to ensure that we enhanced uh, the tools that the Oregon Ethics Commission had um, so that Oregonians could feel comfortable about the work that their state government was doing. For those who are not Oregon-based, I'm sure there's a lot to love and know about Oregon that many don't, don't know at the surface. Are there any, like, three fun facts you give people when you say, hey, you got to check out Oregon? <laughs> I loved that in, in grade so, school and like American history, but now I get to ask a real governor. Okay, so here's a couple of um, really fabulous, wonderful things about Oregon. Um, we, our entire coastline is publicly accessible. All 363 miles from wow. the California border to the Washington border and it's literally part of our DNA. Who we are is Oregonians. We 
revere the coast and it is for many many of us it is a place that feeds our souls wow that is incredible i've many friends that are right now doing drives up that coast it's a it's a common destination especially as we as we head into summer governor brown i i know how busy you are i really appreciate you coming to share our very first jump into public service and a story that i think has so many lessons built in, you know, from this idea of sharpening the saw to taking perspective and then really to being open to jumps, whether they they come up now or, you know, years into one path that might lead you to the next one. So thank you for sharing your wisdom. Best of luck in all that comes forward and really appreciate you joining the When to Jump show. Thank you so much. And uh, as you jump, make sure you have a parachute with you. All right. Our first politician has come and gone on the Wendy Jump podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Oregon Governor Kate Brown. Special shout out to Tylene in Washington State, uh, not only for inspiring that type of conversation and interviewee, but actually in a small world story being the uh, the loose tie that ultimately led us to Governor Brown. Uh, they met at a function that Tylene's grandmother attended and brought Tylene to, and, and that sparked, I think, some inner jump dialogue for Tylene, but also uh, a roundabout introduction to Governor Brown, who was thrilled about uh, the When to Jump community and platform and wanted to come share her story. So huge shout out to Tylene. And again, if you've got a jump to share, you know where to go. Follow us at When to Jump on social. We're getting more and more people sharing through direct messages and comments, their jumps. We love to see it. And as you know, we've got Jump Club Boston coming September 7th and 8th. Uh, tickets are on sale, whentojump.com. Early bird passes are up, but will be sold out, or at least we expect them to be sold out uh, before the event. So check it out, whentojump.com. Meet us in person. And thank you for tuning in. My name is Mike Lewis. I will see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.